Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, national NBA writer at The Athletic. Here, as always, with co-host Anthony Slater on the West Coast. Another West Coaster. Haven't had him on the show in, goodness, you know, a couple weeks, Jovan. We got Jovan Buha on the Lakers beat. Uh, we are going to get into a lot on the latest tampering. Here is, gentlemen, the, the quick breakdown. Uh, you probably could have guessed it. You know, Jovan can talk all around the association, but but Lakers, first and foremost, uh, Jovan and Shams Sharania dropping a, a doozy of a story this morning about Darvin Ham and and uh, the pressure surrounding him with the fledgling Lakers. Uh, certainly going to unpack that. Uh, our guy, Fred Katz, on the Knicks beat is going to join us later, as always, and we're going to unpack the OG Ananobi trade with the Knicks and kind of the domino effect on Toronto and the Pascal Siakam discussion. Talk a little bit of Pacers-Bucks just because I find it so fascinating that Indiana is uh, is breaking the Bucks' soul these days, and, and what does that mean? And Mr. Slater, you wrote a piece on the OKC Thunder that we want to get into as well and uh, and how they are probably the surprise team of the season. Let me bring you all in here. Gentlemen, what is going on? Happy New Year. Happy Hello. New Year. Hello. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. All right, Yovan, let's dive you. in, brother. Um, <laughs> we were going to, I had hit you up about coming on the show before knowing how kind of hot and heavy things had gotten in Lakerland. The, didn't, the Lakers didn't, had, didn't you two, didn't we do the last pod after they were coming off like the IST title? And it was that like, sounds about yeah. right. That the, sounds the, about right. Things have changed in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> they jinxed it, man. You can't be hanging that banner in the house that Kobe built. They, they messed with the basketball gods and they've lost nine out of 12 games since Miami comes to town. And, and I would like you to kind of paint the picture for us and take us inside crypto.com arena last night Miami comes to town on this big West Coast trip they've been on they're winning games without Jimmy Butler without Kyle Lowry we know what the heat bring to the table but the, the Lakers really badly needed a win they dropped that game um, I really did appreciate the way you and Shams wrote it uh, and, and you being on the scene the detail about the the post game scene there and, and I want you to put more meat on that bone but the idea that you know you had players doing media post game before Darvin Ham which is not the norm you had LeBron James getting his clothes on and leaving, not talking to reporters, you know, clearly a sign of frustration. Um, you tell us, uh, just, just how bad is it right now on your beat? It's bad. It's bad. Uh, you know, they've lost nine of 12 and I think entering last night's game, there was a sense of this is a must win stretch. Anthony Davis said as much after the game last night of like, all these they're they're home for 11 of their next 13 games one of those road games is a clippers home game so technically 12 of the next 13 in la uh and basically in la for all of january and for them they're looking at this as a stretch of they have to make up ground in the standings because when they won the in-season tournament they were fourth in the west and right now they're 10th just 0.001 percentage points ahead of the golden state warriors 
who are right there at 11th. So for the Lakers, like this has been a, a spiral now going on almost a month. And they've had several different starting lineups during that stretch. Uh, they have had some injuries to key rotation guys being in and out of the lineup. I think there was also an in-season tournament tax. We saw similar uh, struggles with Indiana uh, with, with their first few games uh, after the in-season tournament. But they snapped out of that. And they've now been playing much better. They've obviously beaten the Milwaukee Bucks a couple times since then. So uh, I think for the Lakers, there was a, a, a level of desperation entering last night that was very palpable. And then they play this Miami team that is without Jimmy Butler, their best player, without Caleb Martin, without Hayward Highsmith, uh, you know, three rotation guys and their best player. And they just get their butts kicked throughout the entire game. And, and really, Miami was in control from, from the, the, the jump. Uh, Lakers make a, a late second half run, get the game close, and then Miami's role players just take over. And uh, there, there's a whole other subplot with like, uh, you know, Jame Jaquez being the, the pick after the Lakers, where, where they selected Jalen Huchifino, and, and he's out there struggling. I think he was 0 for 4 last night. And then you have Jaquez, who's one of the, you know, all rookie first team candidates. And, uh, he's making big shots. He's guarding LeBron. Uh, and like there was also kind of that weird subplot. But overall, the Lakers lose to an underman Miami team. And then after the game, as you alluded to, uh, typically Darvin Ham speaks about ten minutes after the buzzer. And last night, it's it's ten minutes, it's fifteen minutes, twenty minutes. We're like what's going on? All of a sudden, we hear locker room open. And typically, Darvin Ham speaking, like the, the head coach speaking post game, is what triggers the locker room opening. But last night it was okay. Locker room's open, so we go in. We start talking to AD. As AD's talking, LeBron and AD have lockers right next to each other. LeBron gets dressed and just torpedoes out. Like he he's out of there. He just zooms out, and that's very uncharacteristic. LeBron, like no matter what, he's always been great with the media. He always talks. Uh, you know, occasionally he'll get a night off just because he he talks so much that. You know, we kind of are fine with that of, hey, LeBron wants the night off tonight. But last night it was not even really a heads up to us that LeBron wasn't talking. It was just he dipped. We had to confirm, hey, is LeBron, is he going to the podium? Like, what's going on? No, he's not talking tonight. So LeBron's clearly frustrated. And I think he didn't want to say anything he was going to regret publicly. So he left. Uh, AD is dejected, soft-spoken. Um, he's down. He's saying no excuses. Like, you know, even with the injuries, even with the lineup changes, even with the schedule, like we can't make excuses right now. We should be above 500 because uh, the, the loss dropped them below 500 for the first time in almost two months. Then Darvin Ham goes and Darvin Ham is kind of maintaining this optimistic perspective of, you know, we just got to keep chipping away at the rock and, uh, you know, we just got to get healthy and we haven't been healthy and, then he's talking about changing the lineup again and, and maybe going back to the original starting lineup from last season, uh, which was really good during the regular season. And then Austin Reeves goes and he echoes a similar sentiment to Anthony Davis of like, we can't keep making excuses. We can't use the lineup as an excuse. We can't use injuries as an excuse. We have to figure this out. So clearly there was a disconnect. You know, take away the internal stuff and, and the stuff that we reported. Like publicly, you have two of your three best players saying we can't make excuses. We can't keep saying we don't have our full rotation. We can't keep saying we've had a tough schedule. We can't keep saying injuries, this and that. And then you have your head coach kind of echoing the complete opposite sentiment and him continually 
echoing that sentiment really throughout the season of after every loss, it's, hey, well, this guy was out. Or, you know, well, we tried a new lineup and and we got to figure out our continuity with it. And, like, there's just been a, a lot of excuse making. And I, I think at some point internally, people have been fed up with that. And um, there has been an internal disconnect. I think some of the players are starting to tune things out. I think it's been clear on the court with how they've struggled. I think it's been clear with the body language with players. So right now, things are pretty dire. And, uh, you know, people are wondering, is, is Darvin Ham on the hot seat? Like, I, I don't think he's on the hot seat, but I think it's starting to warm. And if they lose to Memphis on Friday or they lose to, to the Clippers on Sunday, like that seat's going to continue to warm. So right now, th- things are not in a good place with the Lakers. And it's just crazy how three weeks ago they were hoisting a trophy in Las Vegas. And now all of a sudden it's like, where's, you know, is the season lost? Like it, it's kind of looking that way currently. Well, I'm sure we'll get to trade deadline, right? Because that's, I mean, it'll be a hot topic on this podcast for the next month, and they're going to be one of the the main teams, and maybe we can get into it now. But I did kind of want to ask you about Austin Reeves, because, you know, right, you said, you know, pretty definitively, like two of the three best players on the team, Austin Reeves entering the season, or we can even go off season was considered their third best player paid like it. You had people believing like hey why didn't the spurs max him out that type of stuff but obviously he's coming off the bench he's had his struggles um and it seems like some of the issues that you guys reported on may reside in the handling of him what like tell me about his season like like where are we at with him yeah well austin started the season off poorly uh the lakers load managed him during training camp in the preseason uh coming off the fiba run and the conference finals run um you know, he's someone who's dealt with some hamstring issues, some lower body issues. And I think he was just worn out during that first month or so uh, of training camp in, in the preseason. And then entering the season, I mean, he, he didn't play that well, uh, at least compared to the sky high expectations that, I mean, I mean that run was pretty insane of like, he becomes a starter. All of a sudden, he's their third leading scorer. Uh, he, he's making big shots in the playoffs. He has the I'm him moment. Uh, he, he's one of the only guys that played well in the Denver series uh, in that sweep. And then he goes to Team USA and it's like most people thought that he was going to be a bench warmer on Team USA. And all of a sudden he earns a spot in the rotation. He's closing games. He, he's basically their, their sixth or seventh man, depending on the night. And that momentum didn't really carry into the regular season. And then after the ninth game, he gets benched for Cam Reddish. Lakers go with a more defensive, long, athletic approach. And since that point, he's basically been coming off the bench until really last night um, and, and had another game where he he started. Uh, but I think you know he, the, if you look at his numbers the last month or so, they've been as good or, or better than last season uh, during that stretch when he broke out. Um, he's consistently a, a 50, 40, 90 guy kind of in that realm. Uh, so I, I think he's back to where we thought he was going to be. He's playing at a really high level. I, I think his defense has, has regressed from last season, but it's gotten better since the beginning of the year. And I think right now he's playing like a legit third option. It's really been the rest of the guys in the rotation, <coughs> excuse me, that have struggled. Um, so I think Austin, not the best start to the season, but I think he's bounced back and has looked like the guy that the Lakers wanted and, and believed he was when they signed him to that four year, uh, $48 million deal. Yeah, you'll just to add just to add more context that you are well aware of to that element. You know, you got Austin, you got Rui Hachimura, uh, you got D'Angelo Russell, and, and the backdrop here in terms of 
the way this Lakers season has gone is that they forget about the in-season tournament. You go back to the summertime. I remember seeing Rob Palenka at Summer League in Vegas, and we don't typically, at least I'll speak for myself, I don't typically do something like this where you're you know, patting people on the back or criticizing them in person for the work they did. And I couldn't help myself when I saw Rob. It was like, damn, Rob, like nice summer. Like you guys really were strong. And, and, and considering we have written so many things in the past that admittedly have been pretty critical of the Lakers, uh, we had a little chuckle over the fact that he was like, well, coming from you and your place, like, you know, I appreciate it. Um, and so it was like this widely praised summer of roster work, but the focus was Austin, Rui, and D'Angelo and, and what they had done in the playoffs. Uh, not perfect, a little bit up and down for D'Angelo, obviously, um, but that was going to be the group going forward to put around LeBron and AD and to see that plan really fall apart and, and with Darvin playing a big part as far as, all right, we're not playing like I want to. Now we're going to switch up the starting lineup multiple times. We're going to change rotations. And to see it all kind of lead to this, it's just messy. Um, I don't know where it leads. You alluded to this earlier, and, and I've connected with some folks today as well. And, and like you already kind of said, you know, we'll confirm that in terms of Darvin being on the hot seat right now, I think it's getting warm by the day. Uh, you know, I did have it get pushed back to me, the idea that he's on the verge of, of being fired. So I think he's got a little bit of time. But man, that schedule that you outlined is is crucial. Um, and I don't even think I shared this with you off air yet. I'm going to come join you on Sunday. I was going to come to L.A. anyway next week, but admittedly pushed it up a little bit. So you got Lakers Clippers Sunday. Uh, you get, you know, and that's obviously you mentioned Friday, the Memphis game, uh, Tuesday, Toronto, um, and then just all these home games with no back-to-backs uh, during that entire stretch. So, let's talk deadline quick, though, you know, because, you know, you mentioned Palinka, and, like, obviously they're going to be linked rumor-wise. Like, you know, that's a month away. Well, I mean, I'd ask both of you just, like, where – how urgent – is it urgent enough where we're starting to really expect, like, they may make another big splash? I, I think so. Um, I, I think as currently constructed – I mean, they're the 10th seed in the West, 35 games into the season. Uh, and yes, they've had some injuries to rotation guys, but they've had LeBron, AD, Austin Reeves, and D'Angelo Russell, who I'll now add in uh, another player ranking. I think those are their top four guys. Uh, they've been healthy for all but eight games. You know, that, that's two missed games per player. Uh, and really, LeBron and AD are the, the two guys who matter the most. They've missed the combined five games. So, you know, if, if you had asked me before the season or, or told me like, hey, LeBron and AD are going to miss five combined games through the first 35 games of the season, what's the Lakers record? I would have guessed at least 20 and 15 at a minimum, even with factoring in the, the schedule and whatnot. Um, so for them to be under 500, uh, I, I think is, in, you know, it's, it's a disappointment. They're clearly underachieving. And I think they're going to make a, a, another sizable, at least mid-size move. If not a, a big move, it kind of depends your definition of, you know, as a big move, an all-star level player. Like, I think they might be more on like the fringes of that. Uh, but Zach Levine and DeJounte Murray are the two names I continue to hear. Those are both clutch clients. So there's obviously a connection there. Uh, but I think both guys plug different holes. Like offensively, I mean, we, we the Lakers have talked a lot about their defense and, and trying to figure that side of the floor out. But like, they've been a bottom 10 offense all season. And they've been a bottom three three point shooting team all season. So, like at some point, you're not winning a championship as a bottom ten offense and a bottom three three point shooting team in 2024. So the Lakers need to address that end of the floor. I think Zach Levine coming in 
there are a lot of question marks, you know, it, it, the health, the shot selection, the defense, the contract, like there are a lot of reasons to talk yourselves, you know, to talk yourself out of it, but the Lakers are in a win now situation. And like LeBron's in year 21, he's 39. I think something drastic has to happen with the way that this team has been playing now for almost a month. So, you know, be it Darvin Ham's future or a big trade, I think something needs to change. Not and not just you know a, a minor tweak of this lineup, this rotation, whatnot. Like something drastic needs to happen to turn the season around. Because right now, as Sam said, like they're they're fledged, like they're they're spiraling out of control. And it, so it's, they are. But the funny they're thing almost me. as bad as the Warriors. They're almost as bad. <laughs> as the Warriors. They're they're getting there. <laughs> hey man, they were two and ten with whatever Darvin always said last year: the point zero 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 seven percent chance of making the playoffs, and they shocked the world. Where's the faith in Darvin? He's the king of the comeback. What what's going on? The difference on here? is, I, I think I think guys are starting to tune him out, and I think you're okay. seeing that. Yeah. All right. We got to bring in, uh, even we got to build off that bold statement that Yovan just dropped. But Fred Katz just loves nothing more than Laker talk. So I'm so happy that he was able to join the pod with this incredible haircut. I'm sure that's why you were late. You were in the barber chair, Fred. You're looking sharp, brother. Man, what a good well, looking man you are. I heard Yovan was coming. And I was like, I have to match. I mean, we all know that Yovan has the hair of a 2018 Portland Trailblazers big man. He's like, he's like Zach Collins and Myers Leonard had a baby. So, so, wow. you know, I had to, I had to step up my game somewhat. Slater, are you okay with this shade? I, I mean, you, you normally dominate the, the hair rankings on this pod and ask Fred about the shade. Ask Fred about the OG and Anobi trade and give me about three minutes and I'll come back with uh, good looking hair. <laughs> all right, Fred, before we move on to your team and the Raptors and all things, uh, the rest of the NBA, uh, I, I know you just caught the tail end of the conversation, but Jovan has chronicled you know, all of the chaos in, in Lakerland. We do think Darvin has a little more time to, to kind of save his seat here, um, but starting lineup changes pressure coming from within uh i did before i throw it to fred Yovan. my favorite part of uh, your piece with shams and we all know this is not the norm is we don't often see according to six sources with knowledge of the situation i mean there's there's a lot of, of leaking happening in this world and that's what that's when you know people are frustrated um fred uh what do you think here here's what i want to know Yovan. the offense has been a problem all season you just touched on it Let's say a move either doesn't come or at least doesn't come for a month till they have the trade deadline. What can they do with this roster in the meantime to at least improve their ability to score? They don't get offensive rebounds, not just the shooting. Like they don't get offensive boards either. What can they do to up themselves from a bottom 10 defense? Because you look at this roster and it was like, I get Gabe Vincent hasn't been there basically all year, but it wasn't supposed to be this level of offensive struggles. They've always had somewhat of a problem in like the half-court offense. Even when the year they won the title, there was somewhat of a problem with the half-court offense. But it wasn't supposed to be this level. What what schematically, what strategically, what statistically can this team do, even if we're just talking about vague sorts of concepts, what can they do to bring this up from being literally a bottom 10 offense like they've been all year? I think there's a couple things. I, I think first is potentially going back to that starting lineup that they used last season of Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Jared Vanderbilt, Austin Reeves, and D'Angelo Russell. Uh, that group outscored, it was dominant in the regular season. It struggled in the playoffs. 
Uh, it was basically net neutral in the playoffs, but had a plus 20 net rating uh, in the regular season. And LeBron missed a, a big chunk of time, so it wasn't the biggest sample size. But for the most part, it kind of made sense where you have this big athletic front court of LeBron, AD, and Vanderbilt, and then you have the two skill guards who can space the floor, uh, be secondary ball handlers and playmakers in Lebr uh, in D'Lo and Austin. And they've completely gone away from that. And, and that's kind of been another frustration point has been, as Sam was discussing, they had the you know, continuity was the buzzword of the Lakers offseason. And they've completely thrown that out the window. And really until last night, we're bringing D'Lo, Rui, and Austin all off the bench. And those are your third, fourth, and fifth highest paid players. And I can't think of another team in the league that is benching their third, fourth, and fifth highest paid players, unless it's like an albatross contract. But I wouldn't ca uh, characterize any of those three guys as albatross contracts. So one would be going back to the familiarity of a lineup that you know has at least worked in the regular season. Now, whether that can work in the playoffs, I think we saw, especially against Denver, that lineup really struggled. They ended up going away from it. Uh, and second thing would be going out kind of in conjunction with that, going back to the four out one in system that they used last season. And they've done it a little bit more, but Darvin Ham revamped the offense, went to a five out system, and they just don't have five out personnel. They don't have the shooting and they don't have the downhill athleticism that you need to make a five out offense work like with a, a Golden State or with a Sacramento. Like the Lakers just don't have that level of skill on the perimeter overall. So I think a couple of things, in my opinion, would be you know, potentially going back to that starting lineup, although it's just another change that they would be making to the starting group. And, and then going back to some of the offensive principles that actually worked for them last season. Because last season, they weren't a great offensive team, but with that group, they were about you know, league average offensively and league average from uh, beyond the arc. And that's at least the level you need to get to to make a playoff run. But if you're going to be bottom 10 and, and bottom three in, in those categories respectively, you don't have a chance. You're first round and out if you even make the playoffs. So I think those are a couple tweaks that they could make. But again, they've been making so many changes that at some point they just have to commit to something and stop kind of just throwing stuff against the wall, hoping something's going to work. All right, gentlemen, great stuff on the Lakers. Jovan, as always, you are more than welcome to hang and chat non-Lakers. Um, again, I'm repeating myself. That Friday night game is going to be fascinating. I'm curious to see Darvin's mood pregame because a if i'm just being real he's such an incredibly likable guy that i'm curious to see how you know the first time as a head coach how does he respond to it's it's never anything personal but you have all this pressure surrounding you and all, all these media members who typically i mean would you agree like 90 plus percent of the time with darvin it's a pretty light mood um where he finds a way to cut through whatever tension might exist with you know a big smile and a big personality and and now the spotlight is is on you. I think it'll be an interesting uh, press conference in that regard. Yeah, um, I, I think Darvin's been a guy who wins the press conference. Uh, that was part of why the Lakers are drawn to him. He, he's got the gravitas. He's got the charm. Uh, he, he is a he's a big dude, and he, he kind of has that big personality. Uh, but recently, I, I think it's it's kind of fallen on deaf ears with with some of the comments and again some of the excuses that. Uh, were made last night, and I, I think that the craziest one was comparing the the Heat uh, missing Jimmy Butler to the Lakers missing multiple rotation guys. Yes, yeah, actually, right. that it was worse for the Lakers that they had multiple rotation guys out, uh, which just to me was was you know, I, I kind of did a, a double take when, when I heard that. Um, so I, I think 
you know, at some point he, he's got to, I, I think, change that, you know, sort of, I don't want to say PR spin necessarily, but he, he is someone who he likes to keep the criticism internal. He doesn't like, I mean, he, he said it publicly. He doesn't like to throw guys under the bus. He doesn't like to criticize players publicly, but at some point I, I think he needs to address some of the things that are going wrong where he uh, falls into some of that stuff and, and have maybe a little bit more of a real conversation when discussing some of this stuff, because I think when, when you're saying one thing and your players are saying something completely opposite, yeah, the, the messaging has to not a good look more on board. Yep. Agreed. Well, Fred, one team that uh, didn't really have any chaos, didn't really have any major problems, uh, but still decided to, to jump to the front of the line when it comes to mid season trades and get something pretty big done is your Knicks. So, you know, we're a few days late on this. We haven't talked about it on the pod. The OG Ananobi, deal with the Raptors uh looking at it through the Knicks filter um you know I, I thought it was fantastic for them uh you got Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett going Toronto's way uh I'm leaving out other pieces you want to finish that sentence for me second rounder yeah. which is gonna Detroit's 2024 second rounder is going to Toronto and then yeah. Precious Achua and uh Malachi Flynn okay Detroit's um, second rounder by the way is not a good pick no that's, that's basically a late first round Absolutely. I have a pet peeve. That's what everybody says about the Detroit second rounder. Why but is that a what? pet peeve though? Okay. It's technically correct. But how come heavily protected first round picks that are going to convey are looked at as bad picks and yet second round picks that are going to be like 32 are looked at as sneakily good. I, I will say this. I mean, you, your overall point is like, correct. You're getting the same level of player right at 28 that you are at 31, 32. But there's a lot more contractual flexibility at 31, which it probably is going to be than 29. And I do know front office people that would prefer 31 than 29 because usually it's like, look, we know who we're getting in that pocket. He's going to be there at 31. If he's there at 29, we can put him at, you know, the new second round exception contractually you can uh you just do a lot more so i mean again now we're getting way into the minutia but i do actually think 31 is better than 20 totally and that's kind of true except for the fact that like if you draft a guy at 31 you're probably giving him a first round contract like you're probably that guy's probably not going at 31 without an assurance that he's getting a first round level contract or darn close to it and, and 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 i don't know yeah, this leverage. is this is this is totally unrelated and so much less interesting to the og and anobi stuff but i just i have a problem the basketball discourse everybody wanting to sound smarter slater i don't like it he's killing me because i just mentioned that you know <laughs> like the detroit second rounder is a good pick all right let's it is go. A good i'm pick. pulling y'all out of the minutia we're going back into the mainstream i want to hear your thoughts on og and the knicks and cutting right to the crucial question of where fred katz in your opinion does this now place their ceiling and before you answer that question I'm cheating and looking at box scores. They beat Minnesota and Chicago with OG. Uh, game number one in his debut against the Timberwolves. I'm going to skip everything else on the stat line other than the plus 19 that pops on the page or pops off the page. Uh, against Chicago, plus 35. Uh, things have gone well with OG on the floor. What are you seeing so far? Julius Randle called him the perfect fit, and I agree with Julius Randle. He, he really is. They, they in two games with him, are just playing a completely different aesthetic offensively. And, and obviously, there's the defensive stuff that is so obvious where he, he kind of had a bit of a downtick the last month or so in Toronto, but he looks like the usual 
OG Ananobi, all defense caliber guy in these first two games where he's guarding Anthony Edwards and doing a great job and guarding Carl Anthony Towns and guarding DeMar DeRozan. And defensively, he's just been all over the place in these first two games. But offensively, he brings such a different dynamic to their starting lineup than RJ Barrett did. And if we just talk about the difference in their styles, Barrett is a guy who's not a shooter and he really requires the ball if he's going to be at his best. And the Knicks were never really at their best in the starting lineup when he was the one with the ball, which is why things were so sort of at odds where Knicks were better off when Julius Randle had the ball. They were better off when Jalen Brunson had the ball. OG is so much more of a successful off-ball player. He's a better cutter. He's a better shooter, especially from the corners. If you help off of him from the corners, he's going to hit that. He's a 44% three-point shooter from the corners over the last five years. RJ Barrett doesn't always hit those shots, and he's not the spacer that OG Ananobi is. He's not the cutter that OG Ananobi is. The last two games, their starting lineup has looked so good offensively. I mean, you know, OG Ananobi, before that first game with the Knicks, went up to Jalen Brunson on the court, and he had not had a practice with the Knicks. He barely knew their plays. There was a play early in the Chicago game on Wednesday night where they ran this play they often run for RJ, and it's a little pistol action where RJ comes from the corner and he takes a dribble handoff from Brunson and it's to get him going downhill to the rim. And they ran it for Ananobi. And Ananobi got the dribble handoff from Brunson and you could tell he didn't realize what he was supposed to do. And so he just kind of went to the top of the key and then just, you know, just lobbed it over to Julius Randle on the other side. Like he's still getting things together. He doesn't know the plays. He doesn't know the terminology. So he goes up to Brunson before the first game and he says to him, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I'm just going to keep cutting all the time. And Brunson's like, okay, great. And you see it. The constant cutting is very present. It is a dynamic the Knicks did not have. I think their starting lineup is way better for it. The thing is, their bench is a lot shallower because quickly was huge for them. But it's a lot easier to find bench help than it is to find the perfect piece, as Julius Randle puts in the starters. I, I honestly think it's a, it's, a, it's a good deal for both sides. I think Toronto is going to be really happy with quickly with 26 last night and is probably going to go off. And, uh, you know, they're taking a flyer on Barrett and seeing if they can, they can, you, you know, and see all oh, of his good traits come together. And oh boy, will they love that Detroit Pistons second round pick. <laughs> <laughs> As a quick aside, I got to acknowledge, I don't know how much of this is, is going to hit the YouTube stream, but if you are the visual uh, fan man Slater, you've come at us from like five different spots today. Two haircuts, like what there, is going on in your in your side of this? To be honest, there's a lot going on in my house right now, <laughs> but we're not going to get into any of it. Yeah. So just keep fair it enough. Up. Well, the hair the hair looks good. All right, we're good. Um, Fred, spinning it forward because we got a lot of stuff we're trying to get to today. Um, where do you feel like this leaves the Knicks trade deadline wise? Uh, they still have you know plenty of assets in that cupboard. And, and I think interest in certain guys, what, what does the calculus change now that they have OG? So people talk all the time about their chase for a star and yada, yada, yada. I, I don't think the organization expects some big star to become available before the trade deadline. I know there's talk about DeJounte Murray. I personally don't think he makes a lot of sense for them basketball wise. I do think losing quickly, what that does is it just leaves a huge hole in their bench lineup. They, they've played Jalen Brunson 41 minutes on Monday. And 38 minutes on Wednesday, and it sounds like that is going to continue. And the reason that that's happening is not just because Tom Thibodeau is the head coach of the Knicks. It's also because they are just not scoring in their second unit when Brunson's off the floor. Like you look at those plus minuses, 
for OG Ananobi. And part of the reason why they're that is because his minutes have basically matched with Brunson over these first two games. They're just not scoring with Brunson off the floor. Uh, They're really struggling to create. Brunson had 14 assists, career high on Monday, 13 assists, which would have been tied his career high if it hadn't been for the Monday game on Wednesday. Not a coincidence. He is taking on a much larger playmaking burden. I could see them trying to go out and just get another ball handler, a backup point guard who can who can run the offense a little bit more competently than what they have now, who can be a little bit more of a stabilizing force. Maybe can go play next to Brunson if you need him to, but can also play 15 minutes when you need him to also. I could see them going after somebody like that just to help with the offense when, when Brunson's not there. To tie a bow on that for me, guys, um, on the Toronto side, I don't, uh, you know, there's been some framing of their situation, like, oh, they're now going to, you know, see how this new roster looks with Pascal Siakam and make a decision on that front. I, I'd be a little surprised if they don't move him by the deadline. Uh, it feels like it's it's heading that direction. So that is obviously going to be front and center. You mentioned DeJounte, Fred. He's another name that is getting louder uh, in addition to the ones we've been talking about every week on here. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Uh, but Slater, I'm going to shift gears again, brother, because before we highlight some of the things happening in the association, uh, Clippers playing really well. The Bucks Pacers thing I alluded to earlier. Uh, we now turn the spotlight, uh, largely and partly because you wrote about it today. OKC is is killing, and you got into their situation in today's story, and and I know it's one that you were putting together for a while. Um, you know, take us through that a little bit, and and you know, again, getting right to the key questions. Uh, how much are you believing that? these thunder that you covered so many years ago with KD and Russ that uh, we thought were going to be sitting on picks for years and taking their time that they're actually a contender right now. 
Yeah, well, you know, I've like covered several games over the last few seasons, uh, 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 kind of on the opponent side of the Thunder, right? You know, going to pregame uh, media sessions where Steve Kerr's prepping for the Thunder or Mike Brown, you know, we're down there covering, you know, King's Thunder a couple times this season. They were in the inter, uh, in-season bracket together. Um, and when you would you talk to coaches, assistants, you know, in the, in the days leading up, it was always like, you know, like they're just really hard to scout against. They're different. They do all these guard to guard screens that, that are difficult to guard. They, they make you cross match in weird ways. And like, it's just not, you don't normally get as much schematic talk heading into an opponent in the regular season. Right. I think we all know that. And I just have felt over the last couple of years, like Thunder's doing something offensively that, like smart coaches are are like you know challenged to to scout against going into the game and uh, I talked to Mark Dagnall which you know is in, it's in the story probably your coach of the year front runner right now uh, just about what they're doing uh, and 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 what makes it so effective and obviously like the reason they are where they are right now which I think what is it like twenty three and ten second in the West uh, is because of the star talent Shea becoming what he has which is an MVP candidate Chet being way ahead of schedule I think we'd all agree and then Jalen Williams being like a very capable number three but it's also just the you know the t- the team they've purposely built around them which I'm mean, if Andrew Sleck wants to hop on I'm sure we'd love to get his perspective yes he, indeed yeah he's been talking about it for for a couple years now but this very i would say different draft and develop strategy that they've had of like just getting guys who can you know pass shoot dribble play make like everyone on the roster you know at every position uh and it's um you know they again like andrew's been talking about it for a few years but it obviously is entering the the wider consciousness now because they're becoming a contender becoming a contender quickly and that has made you know teams like steve kerr teams like all you know all these other opponents try to figure out like you know Damn, we're gonna have to try to figure out how to guard this on you know on a playoff stage. And I just think it's interesting what they're doing. Andrew, before you hop in, my friend, um, I would like you to address the Mark Dagnall component here. Cause I I've, I've th- think I've said it on the pod before. I find it so fascinating that the Thunder, you know, routinely have gone about coaching hirings so much differently than the rest of the NBA. That, you know, we just had this long, robust Lakers talk, right? Well, guess what? When Darvin appears to be on the hot seat, you what do we talk about? Oh, Doc Rivers is still, uh, you know, unemployed. Uh, you know, Mike Boonholzer is out there. We go to the same usual suspects all the time. And with the Thunder, it's just been different. They they kind of Sam Presti disappears in the mountains for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and and uh, you know, and it goes looking for a guy that nobody's been thinking about, and then comes back you know, with a Billy Donovan or comes back, you know, with a Mark Dagnall. Do you and, know Dagnall's history though? Quickly. He, he got there when I was still there. This yeah. Was like, he was you know. with the, the blue. I always forget the name of the, well, he's actually yeah. with Billy Donovan at Florida. He That's came right. With You've Billy hit on this before. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, it's, it, it, so he's been there a while. Andrew can get into it, but I know even I was talking to Chris Paul the other night about the thunder and he, you know, Dagnall was there when Chris Paul was there and he was like speaking very highly of, he could tell then like the type of basketball mind he was, but Andrew I think they, the question for you, Andrew is like, what is your perspective and how interesting has it been because you are so close to that group to see the rest of the world start waking up a little bit to his capabilities as a coach? Yeah. It's funny because like I, I've been using this bit at summer league the past couple of years it's and i've showed people a picture of him like who is this like nobody knows who he is like he's like the most anonymous nba coach there is and he's probably the most unlikely person to become an nba coach in the league right now you know if you look at like his story of even how he got to florida like he he wasn't su- supposed to be a guy that was like an assistant in florida he certainly shouldn't have been the coach of the oklahoma city blue 
you know, at the time, you know, he he actually talked about this the other night before the Boston game that part of his success is that people just keep giving him jobs that he's not necessarily ready for, but they just take a chance on him with his potential. And he said Presti's like the guy that's done that the most for him. Is that he he hired him to be the blue coach before he was qualified. He hired him to be an assistant coach for the Thunder before he's qualified and certainly brought him up to be the Thunder head coach before he was qualified. And he continues to kind of prove him right over and over again. Did a great job of developing players with the blue. He's done a great job of not only development, but like last night, like Thunder lost to the Hawks, but he drew up this play at the end of the game that got Isaiah Joe this wide open corner three. It was nice. I saw it. Yeah. yeah. And after the game, they said – there, there are like out of bounds plays and you know games or plays at the end of the game that they work on. This is one that he drew up on the fly, and they just all kind of walked away from the huddle, like, okay, yeah, that's good. Uh, he's a really good basketball coach, and he also isn't afraid to try new things. And I think that's sometimes to the frustration of Thunder fans a little bit. But like he's he's always willing to like throw in a player here and there. I mean, players know if you're playing for Mark Degnall, you're never out of the rotation fully. Like, if you're the 15th man, like, you are going to have your chance to play. Like, you don't have, like, a regular 9 or 10-man rotation. I think players like that. I think they like that about him, is that if they keep working, that they're going to play. Um, they all seem to love him. He's done a great job. Uh, he's he's also, like, the oldest 37-year-old man that I've ever met. Like, he likes, like, old people music and, like, talks like he's, like, 60 years old, but he's really, like, still in his 30s. He's He's, he's a fun guy. Talks about not eating Skittles and eating broccoli. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what? I'll give I'll give a slightly different perspective, Andrew. If that's uh-huh. okay. Yeah. Uh, I think some of the Mark Dagnall isn't supposed to be here. Talk is his own humility. Because I've yeah. I've talked about him because I I covered the Thunder too, as has everybody except for Sam on this podcast, <laughs> and. When I covered the Thunder, he was the head coach of the Blue. And I've talked and after that I covered the Wizards. And when I was covering the Wizards, I would talk about him with Bradley Beal because Brad was at Florida yeah. when Mark was I believe a, a a GA. He was a graduate assistant at Florida mm-hmm. when Brad was there. And that's like a low-level job and 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 Brad would say to me like he loves Mark Dignall and he would say to me like that guy is going places. He's hmm. amazing. Interesting. His basketball mind is incredible. Mm-hmm. And he just respects him so much for his basketball mind. So I think from a personality standpoint, you know, Mark Dignall is kind of small time in a way. I mean, when I was covering the Thunder, their their head, uh, or not even their head, their, one of their media relations people would ask me and Brett Dawson, who was at the Oklahoma at the time, to specifically come and cover G League games on like Friday nights, not because they wanted us to write anything, but because Mark wanted practice doing post game interviews. Mm-hmm. So we would come and we would cover it, and then we would interview him after the game and just kind of not really do as much with the interviews just to help him out with the interviews. He's like very dedicated and thinks about. Everything. Which, by the way, he, he's a he's a he's a really uh, informative interviewee 
also, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you go across the league, we all, you know, go into these various coaching uh, pregame sessions, postgame sessions. Again, like I said, I talked to him probably for 15 minutes for this story. Uh, he's like, he'll detail stuff and not in a way that I think the Thunder doesn't want him to, right? I mean, there's obviously uh, aspects of just like the Thunder operation that they don't necessarily want to 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 have out there but i just like he's he's smart but he's also like practiced i think within that and i I come away from every pregame or postgame session from mark like learning something Mm -hmm. about the thunder and you can't say that about a lot of coaches and in some ways it's a strategy about a lot of coaches but and fred katz helped them get there i think that's what we're (laughs) (laughs) there's there's something there's something about the g league like these guys who become head coaches after they were head coaches in the g league there's something about the G League that turns all of those guys. I don't know. Maybe this is a story idea for someone. Maybe me. Uh, there's something about the G League that turns head coaches into just like more experimental coaches. Hmm. You look at all the guys who were G League coaches, Nick and Nurse. you look at like Nick Nurse, yeah. who's just whipping out weird defenses to try to combat things. And then you look at like, Darko Ryakovich, who is who is after him in Toronto, and is like, we're gonna come in, we're gonna play this 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 full on ball movement stuff. Uh, there's something. I mean, our producer Dave DeFore is writing in the chat right now and knows about coaching. Says you have to experiment because the rosters are weird and games don't really matter as much, and that's true. And the rosters are constantly changing as well. But you look at these guys who were head coaches in the G League, and like you mentioned. Andrew, I was at that Thunder Timberwolves game a couple of weeks ago, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, Micic is in the game. He yeah. hasn't played since 1976. <laughs> he looks like he just smoked seven cigarettes before he came off the bench. And all of a sudden, he's in the game. And why? Yeah. It's just like to get him ready because you don't know if you're going to have a couple of guys. Just just keep him ready. Yep. There aren't a lot of coaches who who go through rotations, go through strategies like that. I love that point, Fred. And and the fun part is that before you know it, if you're successful, you're Nick Nurse and you're telling Joel Embiid, hey, big fella, be patient with me because I'm going to throw stuff against the wall. And that was part of their conversation in training camp. Um, so that dynamic is is definitely entertaining. Apologies, gents, for being – I gonna. I keep being the guy who's going to bring it back to, to center with the, the stuff I think the listeners want to know about. Whoever wants to weigh in, because you're all, like you said, experts on the Thunder um, – they have a damn good team already. The you know they're up there with the Timberwolves team that has actually come back to the pack a little bit. No pun intended. These past couple of games, um, and they also, uh, as we all know, have a ton of assets. Do you anticipate them letting this thing grow organically uh, and, and waiting until the summertime to look at other options? Do you think uh, maybe something around the edges happens here, trade deadline wise? What do we think the Thunder do? I think Andrew would have more like on the ground feel for if they will or won't just from, you know, I think we all know who, who and how they run. Mm-hmm. Um, and also we all understand like the league, like they're fun right now. They're 23 and 10, but it's 33 games into the season. Uh, look at the age of their starting lineups. Look at the experience. I mean, didn't Chet had a quote the other day, basically saying we ain't done shit yet. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, I would assume Sam Presti wants to see this core go through a playoff. You know, you learn a lot more about a true ability to contend in the playoffs. We just have not seen this team in the playoffs uh, with, with, you know, veteran teams scouting on an everyday basis against them and, and just the grind and, and the chess match that is April, May and June. So uh, my guess, knowing how they operate would be a, an extremely patient approach, even though obviously they have all the ammo uh, if they want to nibble around the edges. But Andrew, uh, you know, you might, have a better feel for that yeah they don't want to disrupt anything that's happening now like pe- people want to throw at larry marketing all the time and not that the jazz are in any hurry to trade him but 
if he was out there, I would expect the Thunder would not be the team to be interested because he'd be taking away shots from guys like Chet and J-Dub. I don't think that's what they want to do. And so I think they'll remain patient. I think they could they could get in there for, I think they need probably like one or two vets off the bench because you're going to get to the playoffs and like maybe some of these young guys aren't ready to play playoff minutes. And so I think that you could maybe get yourself like a, like a Royce O'Neal or somebody like that to come in that's can just play 10 or 15 minutes a night. Andrew, don't you think, though, that this season Sam Presti wants to find out what young guys aren't ready? You know what I mean? It's almost like go fail in the playoffs potentially so we know that you're not ready. You you could. You also look at the West and think there's an opportunity here. Yes, that is, you know? that's the, uh, yeah, for sure. You know, and so to me, I think you could probably acquire somebody that's not going to demand a ton of minutes, but is still more ready to play in the playoffs. That if Casey Wallace did blow up and he's just like amazing as a playoff guy, then you you don't worry about like Royce O'Neal's expiring contract. Like he's he'll be fine. You know he can just sail off elsewhere. But I, I, I s- believe Derek Fisher and Karan Butler are free agents currently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no anybody. Ken- Kendrick Randy Perkins Foy. can Ran- Randy Foy. Can Randy Foy. Yeah. yeah. I mean I. I I think there's definitely I don't expect them to acquire like multiple players, which they could easily do because they have all these picks. Like they could they could form a playoff rotation very easily with the assets that they have now. They're not going to do that. They're going to let some of these guys play, but I still think maybe like one more big wing. And also, I'll say this: people keep saying like, "Oh, they need to go get a big like a Jared Allen or somebody like this." They're not going to acquire anybody that doesn't play the style. Of the Thunder. Shoot, pass, dribble, screen, do it, everything, yes. right? That's what it is. Like Nick Claxon's another guy I keep hearing. Like, they're not going to acquire somebody like that. They're, they want somebody that can fit right away with what they do. They're not going to change their approach with, you know, with some kind of like late season acquisition. Like, they need to be able to play like the Thunder play. And so, to me, it's not necessarily true that they're going to go get like some big or somebody and and if they do it needs to be somebody that can pass and somebody that can shoot it a little bit certainly at the five right that's like a key part of what they do without a doubt their their five man needs to be able to hit threes that's why i circle kelly olenic he's expiring contract he's in utah he we don't know if he's going to stick around afterwards and if you're utah like you you could get you know three seconds or whatever it would take you know and they get assets. The Thunder get a player that can play for them right away that plays exactly the way they do. And he's a big body that you can throw in there, you know, if you're playing against Minnesota or you're playing against Denver. And he can yeah, he could play with Chet. You know, it's a guy like that that I think makes sense. It's yeah, like these other I, lumbering bigs I, that don't. I also think he, he's not due a big contract. Right. And I think that's yeah, one of the true. other things people need to remember. Like, all these guys are going to get monster deals when yep. they're up for monster deals. And we know, you know, how forward thinking the Thunder can be with like mm-hmm. where their salary cap's going. So, like, yeah, that's, I think, matters here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah literally forward thinking. I, like I wish. Wing? Oh, Fred. <laughs> you interrupted Amic wish... just for that. <laughs> I interrupted Amic exactly. For My that. segue I... got interrupted just for that. Yeah, 100%. Go out, call the Brooklyn Nets, and get one of their get one of their wings. Yeah, go get Dorian Finney Smith. That would yeah, be just awesome. add a hundred thousand dollars to the deal to to help them pay their bills for the uh, 
exactly. player participation policy fine. Exactly. The yeah, they're not they're play. not playing them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well get some. Right. A hundred G's. We did. We missed that news at the top of the show. That was oh, who also had the net G's. Hundred G's, and they also like brutally upset everybody on the team and have completely cratered since. So it worked out great. Who had the nets as the first team violating that? By the way, yeah, not I. And who right. had this? Is hey, hold on, Slater. Thank you for the oop. The segue is right here, waiting for me. It's in the air. I'm jumping. Can I get to it? Let's give it a shot. Kawhi Leonard playing 28 out of 32 games. Also, raise your hand if that's something you saw coming in this this season of uh, anti load management. Uh, let's talk Clippers, guys. Contract season for him. So maybe yeah, it is. I can raise my hand. Contract season and like. NBA's kind of coming for you, trolling you, all of the above. And by the way, like, and we'll get to this here, like very desperate season for the Clippers, right? Very desperate season. Um, I will say with apologies to the listeners, every week I feel like we lose one topic that I promote at the top and then don't have time for. I want to table Bucks Pacers uh, for down the line other than to say that, Fred, your your Pacers struggled a bit coming out of the IST, but they are taking it to the Bucks. have beat them four out of five times. Tyrese Halliburton, uh, is in his feelings in the best kind of way in this Bucks matchup, and that was fun to watch. You know them make the Bucks look themselves in the mirror, and and maybe we'll have Eric Name on the show next week to to detail that. Yes, sir, you got have, something. Have you actually looked at Tyrese Halliburton's numbers his last four games specifically? Yeah, yeah. sixty six assists and four turnovers. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's in four games. Oh, you mean Tyrese Halliburton, the number one vote getter among guards in the Eastern Conference for the All Star team, which deservingly so incredible. Yeah, no. Th- so there's your preview for next week. We'll get to it. Pacers making the Bucks uh, miserable, um, and and uh, you know I think that does matter. Uh, we'll get into that later. But Clippers. So I'm going to keep you know taking credit for this little run they're on. I, I joked about it last week. Ever since James Harden and I talked. At Chase Center in San Francisco, they've won 13 out of 15 games, um, proving a lot of people wrong in terms of their ability to be pretty strong collectively, myself included. I didn't, I didn't know that they would get it together. Here's a few numbers for you guys: uh, 13 and two in that stretch. I'm going to focus on Harden and then get to Kawhi. Um, Harden 19.8 points, uh, 5.1 boards, 9.7 assists, and a uh, plus-minus of 9.3. That is second uh, only to Kawhi Leonard. It's 12.3. Uh, Percentage-wise, uh, this jumps out at you. 45.1% from distance for James, uh, 6.8 attempts. Um, just playing really, really good ball. And some of those uh, four games without Kawhi, he had a hip injury that he came back from. Um, you, you know, What's your guys' surprise factor on how strong the Clippers look right now? I... I mean, after their start, I'm surprised by how strong they look. Like, they they look unbelievable. Over this stretch, I mean, they've just been a, a two-way stalwart, right? I mean, we're talking about their, their third in the NBA in points per possession over this 13-2 and two stretch. That dates back till December 1st. And, like, honestly, the most important thing, and it's not even close, is that Kawhi Leonard has been absolutely insane on both sides of the floor. He has been unbelievable defensively. Paul George has been great defensively, but they are revving defensively because they have the guy who's probably been the best defensive wing, maybe the best defensive wing in the league right now with the way that he's playing. 
And offensively, he is hitting every single freaking shot he puts up. He's like 45 from three. He is creating his own shot like crazy. His numbers as an isolation scorer are absolutely ridiculous. He's he he is looking like prime Kawhi, and he's playing every night too. Things look really good when when you have a guy who's I mean, look, he's been a top five player basically, if not better, over this past month plus that they've been on this run. That's really big. The questions about the Clippers have always been, are there good players actually going to play games? Those have right. been the questions. Right. And not only are there good players playing games, but Kawhi's playing at the top of his game right now. He, he's he's just unbelievable at this point. And it's changes everything. Yeah. Slater? Any no, I mean, yeah. Plans? No, I agree. Um, and it's I actually can remember having this segment in the opposite direction like a month or so ago. And I think part of what we were talking about was like co i mean the why they have gotten to this point which is in what is this year four or five with Kawhi and paul george um and such a failed situation it seemed uh, was because Kawhi leonard was hadn't been available or even when he was available the guy that that they shook their whole roster traded the thunder all their picks and now a guy who's in the mvp conversation by the way uh right. to get and to ensure that they got so now he's playing like that and they need him to stay healthy and available and doing that and james harden i think has been good i think he's played his way into shape and by week three with the clippers was kind of looking at least like the sixers version of himself russell westbrook a guy we mentioned on this podcast a lot i think is uh i think his professionalism uh within this situation uh matters right accepting a bench role playing super hard for his whatever he gets 18 20 minutes a night um but also like making zero noise uh you know about uh that role acceptance has been important uh and then paul george is just paul george when he's out there he's just like just a supreme level like secondary guy slater you know, what's you crazy, know sam sam yes, Roker, you know what's yep, crazy yep. you know the clippers team sh true shooting percentage over this stretch their true shooting percentage is 64%. As a team, as right. a team, that is a team's. That is like, I, 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 how can we put this in perspective? Like a, like there are Steph Curry seasons with 64, 65% true shooting, right? Like right. that's, that's insane. They are just, they have been ridiculous. And over this stretch, to bring it back to the Kawhi point, 15 game stretch, Kawhi's true shooting, the efficiency numbers are insane. 68% effective field goal percentage and 72 true shooting. It's just a whole other level, the way that he's scoring and the attention that he's commanding, the attention that James Harden is commanding, which is just opening up stuff for so many other guys, for Paul George spot-ups. Westbrook has been a more efficient player, too, off the bench. Like they, they, I figured defensively that team had it. Offensively, if they're really this good, then they are a problem as long as their good players continue to play basketball. Well, to put it another way, guys, as we now move to our final segment, Slater, it, it's pretty much the same as the Warriors these days, right? Just things going incredibly well and shots going in and everybody happy and um and and you know, deserving of acclaim and spotlight on the tampering podcast. Does that sound about right? Yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> uh your team's lost yeah. three in a row. Or no, they beat the they no, beat the yeah. beat the Magic. Sorry. Yeah, and they got the Nuggets on TNC tonight. Uh, so you know, it's. I was gonna join you. I'm not gonna join you. So have fun down there. 
Um, yeah, uh, you're asking about Draymond, I assume, which is, yeah, we were trying to get to a weekly Draymond green update. Um, you know, the indefinite suspension dating back to a date that I'm sure you have top of mind. When did this thing begin again? This was, uh, at this point, like now 23 something days ago. Um, he, he is, I'll just say this for counting in games, which by the way, the league is counting in games. The contract is counted in games as far as how much he is missing financially and how much the Warriors are actually gaining in tax money, or at least shred uh, shedding in, in tax penalty i should say uh it is game 11 tonight game 12 tomorrow it's a back-to-back and we'll be by at uh, game 13 by the end of the weekend which is i think when we'll start to uh get a firmer grip on when he might return and it does it is likely coming relatively soon uh you and i haven't even talked about this offline um but what was your interpretation or reaction to the color that Steve Kerr shared about Draymond. It, it, I, you know, I think people have been a little surprised by the perceived lack of communication between Draymond and the organization and, and his non-presence uh, in the building. Uh, how did that stuff hit you? Yeah. I mean, look, when this went down, uh, Mike Dunleavy t- spoke the day after he was indefinitely suspended in LA at the UCLA campus. And, Basically, I believe he said the quote was, we're not jettisoning, the, jettisoning this guy off. Um, they kind of, it sounded like we're going to let him have his space for the weekend, but it's hinting at least that, you know, come the following week, he's allowed in the facility. He can practice with the team when he wants to. Not that he was going to be there every day or super involved, but he would be around uh, was the idea that was given. And, and that just hadn't been the case. Hasn't been the case. He's uh, mostly just been in Southern California, uh, really through through this whole process and uh that has been a little bit odd um and the the quote that you like you said kind of made the rounds from steve kerr when i pressed him on it the other day was that uh we're giving him his space and he's giving us ours and i thought that he's giving us ours uh was kind of like an interesting addition to that quote basically I would say roping Draymond Green into the decision making of keeping, you know, organization and player separate. Uh, there's the whole, you know, mental health counseling aspect of this that has been kept very private and, and vague, purposely vague. But um, I do think we're getting to the point that he will be back in the building soon. And once he is, it is it's it's uh, as a t- it's a team that has been trying to unwrap itself from a spiral all season and there's been moments even there was a five game winning streak without Draymond within this stretch uh and there's been feel good times but it's also like regardless of what's happening once he's back he's the story it's all we're going to be talking about Bob Myers went on ESPN uh yesterday you know obviously I think he was on countdown or whatever and said uh you know he used his unique perspective to say when this type of situation happens it can be very exhaustive even though Draymond Green is needed and uh, it's important to get him back in the building and get him back reintegrated with the team. That itself is a very exhausting process. And um, just, they, they don't necessarily need another exhausting process with everything that's gone on, but it's coming. Did and you they do need him. They do need him on the court. Quick follow. Did you connect any dots between the way that each side has handled his absence and uh, kind of what the internal calculus might be relating to Draymond's future with the team? as the deadline gets closer. Yeah, um, I would say I'd expect the Warriors to be aggressive coming up to the deadline, but I do not necessarily expect anything big to happen before then. I do um, sense that they want to see Draymond on the court with his group before they make any big picture decisions, but they also kind of get the, you know, I get the vibe that they believe big picture decisions need to be made. Uh, and, and Draymond would be one of a group of names, I would put, that, 
their future, in my opinion, is kind of uncertain over the next month. And I don't think has necessarily been decided. Uh, we'll see how they look on the court. We'll see what happens you can, off the court or however you want to term it. But part of the difficulty as we assess Draymond Green's future is it does not matter where he plays. He still holds this thing that's happening with him in the league, uh, which means, you know, the next flagrant foul, the next dust up, uh, is he, how long is he suspended? You know, and uh, is this over? Uh, and I don't like, I don't think anyone believes it's necessarily over. Good stuff, guys. I appreciate you. Thank you for, uh, we pushed back a little bit today to, to make sure we got everybody involved. Thank you to Jovan Buha for joining the pod. Fred, appreciate you and your haircuts later. You and, and, Fixing the hair up halfway through, man. Dedication on the tampering pod. Thank you, no, guys. I was, I was bullied, but it's alright. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to the listeners, as always. We will talk to you next week. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.